Welcome to Kid Tech, the show that goes behind the scenes with the makers, creators, the movers, and indeed the money makers or money enablers uh, of the kids' digital ecosystem. Um, today's an episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, this is a space I'm, I'm particularly interested in. So I'm delighted to welcome Alex Ziboder, who's the CEO of GoHenry, to the show. Alex, thanks for coming along. Hey, Dylan, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. So let's begin with the basics. Can you explain what GoHenry is? So GoHenry is a debit card and an app designed specifically for kids aged 6 to 18 uh, with the goal of empowering them to learn good money habits that will last them a lifetime. Uh, so our purpose is really to give kids a tool to learn financial independence and to develop good money habits that will make a big difference in their future. As you know, it's quite important to know how to master money. Uh, and the younger you start, the better it is. Um, because kids who cannot manage money become adults who cannot manage money. And from there, like, so quite a few problems arise. So our business model is a B2C. So it's a subscription-based model. We charge in the US uh, $3.99 per uh, child uh, for, 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 the, for access to the service, to the parent, not to the children. So it's a basically the price of a coffee, right? And for that, uh, members can access basically a fully featured banking app that has been designed specifically to help children and teens learn to earn, to save, to spend, to give. It's an age-tailored app, uh, and it's a really useful tool for parents who want to get more organized with allowance and help their kids learn about money. So we offer to parents safety and peace of mind and to children independence uh, within the boundaries set by their parents, right? The outcomes of this approach is that 96% of parents tell us that their kids are better at managing money. So more confident, better at saving as a result of using GoHenry, 96%. And children on their side, they, they, they learn the benefit of making small mistakes and correcting and learning from that. So it's better to make a 20 pound mistake when you are seven than a 2000 pound mistake when you are 27, right? So for me and for parents, it's a no, no risk and a no brainer proposition because all new customers receive a free one month, one month trial so they can try before they buy and make sure that GoHenny works for them and their children. And 99% uh, of parents who actually try us, continue with us after the first three months. So 99% is a remarkable stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a very high retention rate all over the, the all the cohorts. Interesting. And I mean, is that driven by how accepted children and digital payment is today? I mean, I'm sure you've, you've, you've put a huge amount of effort sort of into the card and the service and everything else, but it strikes me that you know, GoHenry started in 2012, um, I believe. And, you know, the, the difference in attitudes to children transacting digitally then versus now, you know, it, it, it really feels like night and day. Can you talk about, I suppose, both the evolution of that, that ecosystem for, for kids in digital and how GoHenry has adapted and, and grown over that time? Yeah, let me do that quickly because a lot has happened since 2012. But I would say our evolution, if you look at the history, was marked by uh, a few innovations and a few obstacles to our growth or challenges to our growth that we had to overcome, right? So I, I think there are five key moments 
since 2012. Uh, the first one was this idea of attaching a monthly subscription model to a card back in 2012, when the only brands who were doing in general, who were doing subscription were Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon, right? So uh, you come up with this, the founders come up with this idea that's an innovation, but it's also a challenge because you have to like, it's completely new, right? So first we had to crack that. Second, uh, the second innovation, and we tend to forget that because, uh, you know, as time passes, you, the, you, you don't look at the past with the same eye. You, you can, can, everything tends to compress. But when we created the mobile app back in 2014, it was a one-off, it was the first off. It was a beautiful modern mobile app before the chimes in the US or the revoluts in, in the UK and Europe came up with basically the same for adults, right? So we didn't have much to copy from or to be inspired by. It, had, it came out, it's really, that was the innovation lab called Go Henry. So that's the second innovation, which is like really the, the mobile app. The third, uh, which is this, I mentioned this growth challenge. So it was, we had to find a growth model that was sound from a business point of view. And that meant cracking the whole unit economics formula, which is that's a, a whole set of complication and it's not easy to do, but it's not an innovation per se, but it's, it's definitely a moment that we had to pass to be able to continue to innovate because if you don't have a sound economic model, you cannot innovate anymore. There's no company, right? Fourth step, which was very important for us was going international early. So we went from the UK, which we launched in 2012 to the US. We started in 2018, 2019. It's quite early when you look at first the maturity of the market and in general, the, the, the history of a business to go into the biggest market and the most difficult market so early, but we wanted to learn as fast as possible. And we wanted to put our product in, in as much hands as possible because we deeply believe it is the best there is on the market. And the last, uh, probably uh, fifth important, um, I could call it an innovation, both an innovation and a challenge that we have overcome was how we leveraged our, the incredible power of our community of customers. And we, we basically uh, worked with them in two co-creation areas, I would call that. First in co-creating our product. So for instance, the, the customized cards, which we are currently uh, selling, uh, where, for instance, you can write Go Dylan, uh, right, uh, on, on the card, and you can, you can choose whether you prefer to have a pineapple or, 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 a, or a shark as an image. Um, this was co-created with our customers. It came from surveys serving our customers. Uh, in the UK last year, we introduced the Echo card, which is the first green card made from field coal, not plastic, it degrees in landfills within four years. It, it's the first in the world, right? The teen account that we created with uh, last year also co-created with our customers with exclusive car designs, opportunity for teens to get paid their first salary, etc. Um, and uh, that has been at the core of our of our growth. And the second way that our customers have helped us is in co-creating our capital. We crowdfunded, and here two moments were important. Uh, in 2016, when we did our first fundraise, uh, where basically we went to, to Crowdcube, that's the, the platform we used, and their customer base, but also to our own customers. And we said, we are fundraising, do you want to participate? And we were surprised to, to see two things. First of all, we, we beat the world record back then 
2016, the world record of raising funds from the crowd. So crowd here, here meaning just to, for, for context, in the UK, you can raise money from anyone. You don't have to be an accredited investor, right? Uh, as long as you, you respect some, some guidelines which are set by, by Europe and, and the UK. So it's a bit less stringent if you want. Uh, but basically, we went to, to our customers, we beat, we beat a, world, a world record, which is uh, the amount of money raised from the crowd purely without any VC backing. We had no name, no big name uh, coming. And let's say, if you want, putting their name on the table. And then, of course, the crowd followed. It, here it was just us and the product. And the second thing that really surprised us is that uh, after two crowdfunding of the now 5,000 shareholders we have, that's the total shareholder base we have today. Of these 5,000, 2,500 are our customers, parents who have who use GoHenry to help their children be good with money. So that was again, that's if you want another way of looking at the importance that we represent in the eyes of our customers, so much so that they are willing to put their money on the table and be shareholder to make sure that the money, that the product goes as wide and as fast as possible to as many people as possible. It's an incredible answer. Um, I think so many people when they're building companies feel or, or outsiders feel that there's like, there's a single silver bullet in the growth of companies. Many, many, many silver bullets, right? Yes, you have to try a lot of tricks. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's, you know, companies are about trying, 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 failing a lot of times. And then one time you, something happens and you have to follow them, follow yeah. the stream and just make sure that this one like really goes well. Um, we often talk in, in conversations about the internet not being designed for kids. Yeah. Do you feel the same about the digital payment landscape? Yeah, 100%. So basically, uh, I would put it in one sentence. Kids are digitally savvy, but they are digitally underbanked, right? So everyone recognizes the need to engage the next generation of customers and that their needs are different to the previous generation. But I think there is no debate about that. Uh, but it's how you do that. So if you look at the way it was done up to, let's say, our arrival or this market emerging, basically banks who are in this space, of course, uh, the, 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 uh, the actors that, are, uh, that have to do something, what they were doing and what they are still doing are basically kind of creating a downgraded version of an adult product. So basically they are paring down, let's say, a, a card, and they make it uh, like constrained so that you cannot uh, buy too much or like make stupid mistakes when you are a kid in the end, right? But that doesn't work and it did not take off. I'll give you an example. There was a Visa had a program called Visa Bucks, which was in the uh, popular in the US in the, in the like late nineties, but it didn't take off because it was too early, right? It's always a matter of timing. So Visa Bucks came before the onset of the mobile, the app store, everything we know today. So you had what? You had a card that was designed for teens, right? Visa bucks, but you had to record on your own book somewhere your expenses because there was no way to track the expenses digitally, right? So, so that of course didn't take off. So it's really a matter of being uh, at the right time with the right idea. And, and we are lucky that that's what happened to us. Now, when it comes to, uh, uh, we, we, you have to build something for kids, you have to look at the specificities of the space. 
and you cannot approach it as, uh, uh, let's say, traditional banks do, and they start from the adults. You have to start from, first of all, not the adult, but the parent, which is different, meaning that you are thinking already of a unit made of at least two people, the parent, one parent and the child, right? And that's already, if just you think of that a second, that's already a complication for banks because banks are typically, they know you one-to-one, -one. even if you're a child and you come to the bank to open uh, an account, your parents will come with all the papers, but in the end, it's the banker with the child and nothing in the system, nothing in the system will tell this is the child of this parent. Right? So they don't know the family unit. So you have to really technologically at the root create the family unit. Second, you have to build the product around the family unit and starting with the child. So the child, of course, when they are six, they will not have the same understanding and expectations where, uh, uh, for, to an adult. And even when you look at this whole range of six to 18, between a six, a 13 and an 18 year old, there is a really vast change in their, in everything, including in how they relate to money. So it's important that you really tailor that product to these age segments, to the family, the parent, and only then can you hope that it will take off. So uh, yes, kids uh, were, I would say, digitally, they, they were missing a solution. I think now with, with, with Go Henry and with this market emerging, we are in a better spot. Are you surprised at all that Google and Apple um, with iOS and Android respectively haven't done more in this space to support um, digital banking for, for, for young audiences? Uh, not necessarily. So uh, if I look at, for instance, uh, Facebook, uh, Facebook has tried uh, and is still trying with uh, around uh, WhatsApp, Facebook family. So they have stuff. If you look at Amazon, Amazon has, uh, or even Apple, both have the concept of family, right? But it's geared towards the ecosystem they have already created, which is a partial ecosystem. I'm, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying um, you will feel a part of the needs of the child and of the family, right? If you are an, uh, an Amazon customer, it will be easy for you to set up your family account with children in it, but you will buy on Amazon. You cannot go and start buying whatever you want, right? So you are constraining, which, which is okay. But so the, I think the, the, the main reason why they have not leaped into that is, is this one. The second is also, you know, it's, it's a challenge to, to build a brand around the concept of child, right? Especially when you are a mega company uh, worth trillions of dollars like uh, the Googles and the Apples you want to make sure that actually you can control that stuff. You don't know, I mean, you, with like hundreds of millions of customers, what can happen? So I think there is a bit also of cautiousness. They, they, they want to see how the market will structure itself, emerge, and then probably they will, they will come into the, into the market when the maturity is there. I think it's still too, probably too early for them, to be honest, and the time will come. Um, and that sort of brings me neatly to looking at the, the, the general landscape and I suppose the companies that you would or maybe you don't consider your peers. Um, so there's, there's competitors like Greenlight and Step and Current and, and, and a couple of others. Can you, I suppose for, for the audience, what's the best way to categorize those companies across the space and, and how does GoHenry compare? Yeah, so before actually uh, 
you, you look at the market uh, defined by the competition, you have to look at the market or the needs defined by the customer, right? That's where you start from here. So the biggest competitor to us, to all of us, to the whole market is not each, each of the companies you're listing, it's cash, right? So the vast majority of parents are still using cash to manage allowance, right? Is that, is that, is that, so it's just to remind our audience, it is uh, 2021. Yes. And cash is still being yes. used as a primary allowance vehicle. Yes, it's amazing. Huh? Yes, it is. It is ex exactly true. About 75% of uh, parents today, when they give allowances, is given in cash. Remarkable. Um, so when, when a parent, so as you just said, you are surprised. Okay. So when a parent discovers an ad, be it from us or any of our competitors, right? In 80% of the cases, instantly they follow and they go and look at the site that was advertised to them. They don't compare, right? So the question that you ask about how we differentiate against competition makes sense only for those who actually do compare, which is a minority, minority like 10, 20% max of all the prospects. Now, if they, if they do compare, then uh, you have to look at, I think, a few things. And this is where the, the, the differentiation, if you want, starts start, start happening. So probably because we, are, we were the first in this market, we pioneered the category. I hope we can see it, foresee a bit better the, the future where the market is going. I see the market segmenting uh, around a few core fracture lines. So first is, to whom is the proposition market? Who is the prospect? Is it parents? Is it teenagers who are lacking a solution? And when, if you look at within parents, to take an example, is it to financially savvy parents? Is it to parents who first, really first want to educate their children? So you have to really segmenting the vast, like uh, in the US there are 50 million uh, children aged six to 18 who could benefit from GoHenry. The parents are, can be, can be uh, segmented into five different ways, right? So that's the first, the first thing is, the market itself will start segmenting around the core needs of the core segments. The second is, what do you market to, to these parents? Do you market or to these audience? Do you market a card to spend? Do you market a savings app? Do you market a tool to build your financial fitness? Do you, do you market a wider family experience? All that stuff, depending on how you answer the question, and there is no right or wrong, it's just how you answer the question, will start creating another, let's say, segmentation in the market. Then another one is very important. Who markets that stuff? Is it the company? Is it the customers? Is it social influencers? Do you go direct or do you go through banks or some other corporate uh, arrangement? So that again will redefine uh, what the segment looks like. But I think the one of the most important probably is the, the, the brand. And so what is the purpose of your company, right? Are you authentic? Are you genuine? Or are you just like here as a as a spend card and a tech simple simple solution? Is it something bigger than just uh, helping uh, parents, uh, uh, let's say, giving pocket money to their children, right? So that's what will define the segmentation of the market in the coming, uh, maybe I would say three to five years. As far as we are concerned, we are focused on the six to 18 years old. It's not an add-on product, that's our life. I mean, I have 250 people just doing that day and night. And so um, I'm sure that we will we will find a way to actually uh, exist in, in this uh, in this ecosystem. 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the underlying um, consumer trends within that audience. I mean, I'm sure COVID has had a pretty huge impact in behavior and, and you like at a platform level, I suppose you get to see sort of amazing data on emerging patterns and, and what's going on from a sort of young audience e-commerce perspective. And um, what can you say about what you're seeing? So um, from our perspective, the, the, the need for a service like ours is connected to two things, um, the rise of digitally and e-commerce and financial literacy. So the rise of, of, of e-commerce uh, impacts Gen Z in, a, in an incredible way. So gaming, music, shopping, uh, here I can list, I mean, I, I look at my daughter who is 15, she is the whole day selling stuff on Depop, on Vinted, she's on Goat. Okay, <laughs> so like uh, food, etc. So this is how kids today spend their money, right? Then financial literacy, that, that's really, I think, the most, uh, the most interesting. So parents are really thirsty for tools to help them give their kids money confidence, right? So schools and banks, uh, they haven't addressed the financial education in a practical, real-world way. And we think that's a subject that is, uh, that where learning by doing is the best, right? The second is focus on financial literacy has never been so strong and it will continue to grow because more parents will seek the tools to help their children get confidence with money and finances, right? And the same trend, we see the same trend in edtech, uh, edtech space where effective targeted micro learning will lead uh, the way. Uh, coming from uh, before Go Henry, I was, I was uh, responsible for EMEA at lynda.com. Linda was the inventor of microlearning, and I know how powerful that can be. So microlearning is another very important component of, let's say, this digital economy coming up. And then uh, what happened with COVID-19 and the restrictions that came with it, it has fueled an explosion of e-learning tools, of developments in child-friendly uh, fintech, uh, and even the use of digital currency, like in Roblox, in Fortnite, and other popular games. So now that was I said that's the let's say the big picture. Now if you look at um, uh, what we see in our data, right? Uh, we've just released um, um, uh, something called the Youth Economy Report, which is a vast study on uh, our customer base, and it highlights a few uh, interesting I would say trends in 2020 uh, compared to in 2020 compared to 2019. So pre-COVID, post-COVID. So there's been a seismic shift to a cashless economy. 39% uh, of children admit that they are wary of handing paper money and coins since the outbreak of COVID-19 because of the virus, right? So don't touch. <laughs> and actually only 6% of kids are actually withdrawing money from an ATM, right? So it's really small. Um, over half of, the, of, of children spending now takes place online. And there is an 80% increase in gaming spend during uh, the second quarter, uh, which was the first wave of the pandemic restriction, right? So really cashless economy. The second is earnings have increased after the pandemic hit. So in the second quarter, earnings from tasks, so kids, kids can earn their money uh, with GoHenry. Parents have a few, let's say, tools if you want. They can give regular allowance. They can, they can give them tasks that they, uh, they, 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 they do or they can just give them one of money. What we have noticed is that in the second quarter, earnings from tasks have increased by 28%. And the types of tasks also has also changed. Um, uh, it, it has been more around car washing, gardening, babysitting, exercise-related activities. 
uh, all these have experienced a massive increase during the second quarter of uh, 2020. Now, the other, the third element uh, is money worries is on the rise, right? So money worries are on the rise. 73% of those surveyed told us that they worry more about money since the start of the pandemic. And, and they admit that this has affected their well-being. Uh, and the last thing is that kids are uh, channeling these worries into positives. So charitable giving has gone up by 20%. And what is really, and that's probe for me, I kept it for the last because that really stunned me when I saw that, they are saving more than their parents. So in 2020, kids and teenagers saved when we, when we take our base and we basically estimate uh, to the whole US population of kids, what was the amount of savings that, that basically the US kids generated. In 2020, kids and teenagers saved $2.8 billion. Okay? And that's 10% of their total income. It's three percentage points higher than the adult monthly savings rate. That's, that's to me uh, so interesting because on one side, it, it, it tells us uh, how we are helping uh, children become more savings aware and less, uh, let's say, not like uh, breaking the cycle of going into debt. I think we are probably, hopefully, we are on the right track with, uh, with, with, with these numbers. Fascinating set of stats, Alex. Um, I mean, is it fair to say that digital tools and digital commerce are empowering this generation of kids like never before. Yes, absolutely, 100%, yeah. Uh, and it is, again, uh, back to, to what I said uh, earlier. Kids today are digitally savvy, but they're digitally underbanked. So right. we have to, we have to uh, solve that chasm here, right? There is one, for sure, for sure. Um, let's extrapolate that forward a little bit. How, what do you think the future of kids and young teens financial services looks like? If you go sort of forward 10 years in time. Oh, 10 years in time. Uh, well, it will be commonplace. Mm. Um, it will be commonplace. Uh, it will be natural, uh, not mm. like when Go Henry started back in 2012, uh, questions from parents, really, you want to give a debit card to, to a child, right? It will become natural because uh, the economy, the digital economy will go, continue going everywhere, right? So of course, any audience will come into, into that. Absolutely, yes. And I think it's a good thing because uh, the earlier you start with financial education, the better you are as an adult in managing money for the rest of your life. There is a study that was done by Cambridge University back in 2009, I think, that showed that it is at the age of six and seven that you as a child start really relating to money and being able to grasp the concepts of earning, spending. And if you start educating at that age, you have the rewards are compounding over the whole of your life. Mm -hmm. So don't wait until the end of 25. <laughs> Do you think at some point there is an intersection between kids' financial services and cryptocurrencies? Uh, yeah, but uh, quite, uh, it's not tomorrow. Uh, let me, okay, let me start by a little bit of a joke. Um, 
there are two physical laws of human motion, right? Uh, you have to crawl before you can walk and you have to walk before you can run, right? So <laughs> applied to our space, we need to remember two things before we leap into cryptocurrency. Uh, again, I'm repeating myself here, the, big, the biggest competitor is cash. Mm. Right? Second, you need to understand, when I say you here, it's the child, but actually it also relates to the parents. You need to understand the basics of money management before you can leap into next generation value creation, right? So anyone who thinks of Bitcoin needs to be comfortable first with what earnings, spending, and savings mean and how they are connected and what role they play in building yourself, right? So when it comes to, to Bitcoin, there was a, there have been experiments in this space, by the way. Uh, one of them was called uh, Pigsby, right? Pigsby was a company that helped children and their families learn the principles of 21st century finance through cryptocurrency. Uh, savings and hands-on. I'm using the past because that company doesn't exist anymore. So, but that what they found out was that the largest concern from parents and uh, uh, educators was trying to explain crypto volatility, right? And why a child's savings are today $100, but tomorrow $50, right? How do you explain that? <laughs> so it's a big learning curve, even for adults to wrap their heads around. There is, a, I mean, there is a huge lack of uh, financial education for fiat currencies, that crypto is something that it should only come once a real understanding of traditional financial literacy is well developed. So that's for me, step by step. I think there will be a time for crypto, it is just too early. Hmm. Or maybe this generation of kids will just steer clear of it altogether. Let's see, I don't know. <laughs> um... We're going to wrap up with a question that we uh, are asking all guests in this season, Alex. Um, what are your predictions for 2022? Um, it's obviously been sort of a strange, different, unique 12 months. Um, how do you see the world a year from now? So that, that was a very good, uh, it's a very good question. It's, a, it's one that yeah challenges uh, uh, your minds. Uh, do you want the 15 second reply or do you want the three minute reply? Oh, I want the three minute reply for sure. Okay, fine. So let me start with uh, with the the conclusion, and then I will develop the three minute reply. So in twenty twenty two, I think we'll see the rise and the strengthening of um, those economic actors who are built around core digital and personalized propositions. So we'll see the emergence of new juggernauts who offer integrated digital and physical experiences as, at, the, at the core. Could thrive during the next five years which will be a, a wave of virtualization and rematerialization, and are deeply in tune with the long-term, like with the 10-year fundamentals of that sector, right? So that's my thesis. Now, how did, why do I think that? Um, I, I think of 2022, to answer your question, step back and first I, I ask myself two, let's say more uh, higher level questions. What will not change in the next 10 years? and what might change in the next five years, right? So these are like framing, let's say the problem. So if you look at what will not change in the next 10 years, and, and that, that way of looking at the problem was, uh, I was inspired by Jeff Bezos in one of his, uh, uh, I can't remember speeches uh, a few years ago. He, he actually spoke about that. It's, it's a very interesting like five minute segment. So what will not change in the next 10 years in our industry? I think uh, four things will not change. Uh, uh, one is around families, uh, parents and children. So there will still be parents and children, right? Maybe the composition of the family unit will change, the number of children per family will change. But I think everyone will agree with me that there will be parents and children, right? 
Second, parents will love their children and they will want and wish the best for them. So that's fundamental. That's, I don't think that we can say that's challenging. <laughs> Second, with regards to money in the family unit, I think no matter the form it takes, so uh, card, plastic, virtual, crypto, money will play an essential part in parents' lives, right? And parents will still want to educate their children to money. Okay. Third, what will be the relationship between in 10 years time between kids money in the family unit? So I think kids will want to spend. Parents will give their kids money. That will continue. Um, what we call the money pillars, so earning, spending, saving, giving, investing, borrowing, like these fundamental bricks of uh, money management, they will still be relevant and even more probably than today. And parents will want to be able to help their kids on this, on this money journey, right? And finally, the fourth, I think, uh, uh, element that will not change in the next 10 years is kids' relationship to money outside of the family unit. So kids will continue to receive money from outside, maybe even more than today. By outside, I mean like from relatives, from friends, etc. Parents will still want a strong family connection with inbound money. They want to know what is happening here, right? It's not like uh, free, free money in, free money out. And teens will want to connect with their mates and paying what they owe them, as an example, right? So these like bricks, the families, the, the role of money in the family unit, the relationship of kids to, to money in the family unit and to money outside the fam family unit, that for me is uh, no changer in the next 10 years. You can build a business around that, right? That's why I'm saying all this, is that you can build a good business around things that will not change because once you know it doesn't change, you can do something. Now, there are things that might change uh, in the short term, in the next three or five years. I think we might see less plastic cards and more virtual cards. I think we will see virtual goods exploding, right? I think money will go into all these new digital ecosystems, like online gaming, as an example, right? In general, the way we pay for things will be eaten up by key players, back to your comment about Google, Apple, et cetera, right? So they will come in here. Uh, and I think that banks, the role of banks in moving money, moving money around, so the, the purely the transaction part of, the, of, of banks' role will diminish because there will be an erosion of their gross margin from competition. Uh, I think it's still unclear to me how banks will uh, react to the, to the redefinition of their role in the money creation value chain, in the credit, but in transaction, I think it will go down, right? So now, having said all that stuff to frame the question, what are my predictions for 2022? Uh, two, two macro trends will hit 2022. One is the ripples of COVID-19 will continue well into 2022. And so there will be uh, uh, two, let's say, um, uh, pressures, which I call in simple terms, distancing and personalization. These will be, these are like COVID-19 has magnified that and will continue well beyond 2022. So if you look at, uh, let's say, four areas, work, shopping, socializing, education, in each of them, distancing and personalization will play a fundamental reshaping role, right? I mean, work, distancing means any employer today has a larger catchment area than yesterday. You can go basically higher not anyone in the world, but that is anyone in your time zone, right? That's, that's already a multiplication by 10 probably of your, of your potential. Uh, everything that you do as a company will change and will have to be distance at the core, distance onboarding, distance value creation, distance offboarding, et cetera, right? 
but also personalization at work, uh, personalized work working patterns. I think the, uh, the concept of agility, agile teams in teams will go way beyond coding, which is today the area where it is really, really deployed. So I think that this is an example of like what COVID-19 will do to work. The same will happen to, to shopping. So you'll have more uh, social brands, right? Distancing will mean more social brands. You'll have more distance experiences in all shopping manners, so pre-shopping, shopping, post-shopping, right? And all sectors like tourism will be completely not, uh, it, it will change so much we will not recognize it because it will integrate, it will integrate the distance in its proposition, which is kind of weird because tourism is about going away, but they will have to integrate distance into the proposition. And, and personalization in shopping means there will be many more Amazons, right? Amazon is the king. They invented personalized digital personalization. Shopify followed them and did uh, hugely well. There will be more Amazons and Shopify than we even can think of. That will continue. Socializing, education, and let me take the last one, education. Education uh, distancing will mean, again, here, large catchment areas for both of both children and tutors, right? So for not just schools and universities, but any educator, your role model will be redefined. So the next door team could become your role model tomorrow, right? Uh, and then also like distance preparation, distance exam, et cetera. And personalization will mean micro learning, personalized learning, personalized education, right? So all these things will happen thanks to, or despite or no, COVID-19. Now, there is a second thing you would say, okay, but this will completely destroy uh, physical, the physical economy. No, I, I don't think so, no. I think, in, you know, we are physical bodies and we are wired around sensations and perceptions, right? That's humans, we are, we are humans in the end. So it will not kill the physical economy, but I think it will redefine it. And the new physical economy will emerge with, that is deeply synchronized with the digital economy, that is able to operate as well close as at a distance, and that offers personalized experiences and socializing throughout, right? So that's like one major macro trend. And then there is the, the economy itself in 2022. I think that today the, the equity markets are putting far too much of these future of these future trends into the current valuation of all the companies, especially the tech companies. So for me, it's difficult to see how we will avoid an adjustment, a market adjustment. I think the current market is in a bubble. There will be some event that will prick it probably this year, probably next year. And this in turn will lead to the usual. So there'll be a wiping out of all the economic actors who cannot uh, meet the near-term pressure of distanciation and personalization. So any business that was built more than 20 years ago and who has not transformed itself at the core to build in this business, distance and personalization will just disappear. And then there will be the rise and the strengthening of new actors who are built around core digital personalized proposition. And in this segment, there will be new juggernauts who offer integrated digital experiences with physical, who can really thrive on this virtual and rematerialization of the economy, and who are deeply in tune with the fundamentals of their sector. And I, and I think, I hope, that we are a very good candidate to, to be one of these juggernauts. A rich tapestry of predictions there, Alex. That's why I ask uh, you want the 15 seconds of the three minutes. Maybe it was even more than three minutes. I don't know. <laughs> that, was a, that was an excellent finish. Uh, well, Alex Zubiter, um, CEO of GoHenry, thank you very much for joining us on Kid Tech today. Thank you very much, Dylan. Have a good day.